church family. And uh, we were commenting on this all week. It was just wonderful. Uh, we've had high involvement in the past, but it just organized so well this year. And uh, uh, so many of our people, they um, were able to be involved in their one area and not really having to double dip. And uh, it's still exhausting, don't get me wrong, but maybe a little less stressful. And uh, more of us uh, retained our sanity by the end of the week, maybe. Um, but uh, boy, what a blessing it was to see what God did uh, this past week. Um, and we'll be sharing one of the biggest blessings I was going to share right now, but I'm actually going to wait to share it now, and you'll find out why a little bit later. Um, but uh, that was uh, just so many wonderful stories I could tell about things that happened uh, this week at Vacation Bible School. Um, of course, we rejoice most of all in the 19 who trusted Christ as Savior. And there was another adult who did as well. Um, and I just want to commend uh, our church family for your hard work um, and really uh, your steadfastness and, and laboring for the Lord. Uh, I know it was a labor of love, and many of you, you worked all day, and you gave literally every night you had, uh, every evening you could have had to rest or do laundry or do whatever it is you needed to do, you were here, you gave it to the Lord. And, uh, you know, there might be a pile of laundry at home, uh, there's also uh, 19 souls going to heaven. And I dare say, we always say, the VBS tired, and it's a good tired, and there's a reason for that. Um, and so we're grateful for what the Lord has been doing. And I, I'm grateful for how the Lord has been blessing our church. And one of the things I've learned in ministry is that there are seasons. Um, pastoring is, uh, well, the pastoral world, if you read pastor books, they want to make it out to, to be like pastoring is being like a CEO. I've learned in actual ministry Pastoring is a whole lot less being like a CEO, and it's a whole lot more like being a farmer. Um, <laughs> there, there is planting, um, there, is, there is cultivating, and there is harvest time as well. And not every season is harvest time, and sometimes it seems like it's a long time since someone's been saved or anything major has taken place. But when harvest time comes, there's a reason why the scripture says in Galatians 6, and be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap. If you faint not. And uh, right now we're getting to enjoy a little bit of a harvest time uh, with people getting saved and with uh, people following the Lord in baptism and becoming a part of our church. And it's just enjoyable and uh, it keeps us going. Just remember next time when it seems like nothing's happening, nothing's going, well, it's time to do some more planting and watering and cultivating and pulling weeds. Um, but eventually harvest time's coming again. Um, let that be an encouragement to you as we consider what the Lord has been doing this, this past little bit. And, uh, uh, you know, as our church has been growing, it's reminded me of the need that we have to get a new church building up. And uh, I'm going to tell you, I, I have really prayed about this a lot. And at this point, the Lord has not given me any peace about going to a second service. Um, and I've had some people say that to me. Now, some of you want a second service. Uh, not for the sake of church growth, but for convenience. You want to be here early. You want to go to, you want to beat, beat the Presbyterians to lunch, okay? Um, but uh, that's not a godly motivation for us to be able to do that. And I just like having everyone together. I know it's hard to say hi to everybody, but there's just something about it. There's something about it. And uh, the Lord hadn't given me peace about that yet. And yet we are praying about several options. And, of course, the number one is getting this new building put up. And uh, it's going to be, it's going to have to take God miraculously stepping in, giving wisdom to the men and women who are uh, in the planning phase right now. Um, and 
miraculous provision too. And I believe that God can take our little and make much out of it. And uh, I do believe that God is blessing our church. Um, and uh, we're not a perfect church. We're striving about his great commission though. And he's blessing us for that. And I believe with all my heart that God's going to bless us with being able to see this new church building placed up as well. And along the same lines, as God has been blessing the church, he's also been blessing the school. And uh, I'll have you know, at this point, uh, we very well may have 90 students in our academy this fall, uh, which I don't think that we've ever had before. Now, uh, you say, how, how many can you have? I think our max is 100, but that would depend on if we can get all the right kids in the right classroom. So uh, we are reaching our max, and we're starting to get a lot more interest. And sadly, uh, we're going to have to start turning some people away because we're not going to have room. Uh, I guess that's a good problem to have. And yet at the same time, it reminds us of the need that is present for us to keep moving forward. Uh, you say, uh, well, how's the school going to continue to grow? Well, the Lord lets us build a new church building. This building, um, prayerfully, is going to become the school building. And uh, as pretty as this auditorium is, it's just a room. And it's going to get gutted. It's going to become a gymnasium. We'll build some, class, some additional classrooms in the building and reorganize some things. And the school will be able to continue to move forward until we can get that second building built, uh, the, the school building. And so just some vision I wanted to share with you. I hadn't talked about it much here lately, uh, but we need to keep these things in front of us. We need to keep praying uh, that the Lord would enable us to keep moving forward to accomplish God's vision. And we're going to stay faithful. And as God provides, we're going to keep, uh, keep moving forward with what God has us to do with uh, seeing this church grow and impact our community uh, for the cause of Christ. Um, last thing I wanted to visit with you about is just uh, the next uh, two Sundays. Um, I know I've, I've already been gone twice this summer, but the next two Sundays, we're actually going on vacation, and so we'll be gone. And uh, every time I go away, and I've had so many people remind me about this this, this summer, um, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just taking some time away with the family. Um, and uh, we uh, decided instead of going away around Thanksgiving like we normally have done, uh, we're going to go get it done uh, during the summer. Um, we are kind of excited about it, not excited about driving all the way across the country, uh, back east. Uh, but once we get there, we're going to really enjoy it. And so you pray for us for safety as we head back that way. And you will be in good hands while we're gone. We'll be in, uh, well, all over. We'll be in Kansas, Ohio, uh, Indiana, uh, really just visiting family is uh, mainly what we're going to be doing. And I'll also be taking uh, some time to study and plan out the rest of the fall uh, for preaching planning out next year, working on our calendar for next year, um, and uh, the preaching schedule for next year, and so those are things, if you've been around here a while, you know I like to take some time uh, at the end of summer to go and do, and uh, the Lord has really blessed those endeavors, and so uh, we'll be going for a little while, but we'll, we'll, uh, our hearts will be here, and they'll, they'll always be here, uh, I just wanted to reassure you with those things there, um, and uh, you make sure and spread the word about that as well. While we're gone, uh, Actually, uh, it just worked out uh, this way, but uh, Brother Jim Preston is actually going to be in, be in town. And he was uh, the first pastor of Lighthouse Baptist Church um, years and years ago. And uh, he, will, he will be doing some preaching for us uh, while we're gone. And in particular, I'm really looking forward to the fact he's going to be speaking on the home on Sunday nights. Um, and of course, uh, many, many years my senior um, he's raised some good kids. He and his wife have enjoyed a wonderful marriage together. Um, just like me or any of us, he's not a perfect man. I know that. Um, 
Um, but he's a, been a godly mentor in my life, and I believe he has a lot to, uh, to share with our church family that will be beneficial. So I really encourage you uh, to be here the next couple Sunday nights, and of course Sunday mornings as well, as we gather to worship the Lord, and uh, let me encourage you with those things. All right, well, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 24, the Bible says, A man that has friends must show himself friendly. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. How many are thankful that we have a friend that's closer than any other one in this world? And that friend is Jesus. We're going to sing about that friendship, that intimacy we can enjoy with the Lord. Let's all stand together. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's put the other song up there, guys. What a friend we have in Jesus. Take out your Bibles tonight. We're going to open up to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is where we'll pick up our time in the scriptures together tonight. I'm going to switch over to this microphone if I can, guys. Psalm 127. Um, now, this is uh, a favorite psalm of mine, and I'm sure uh, for many of you as well, and for many reasons. Uh, it is a favorite of mine. I'm looking forward. This is uh, really, I've referenced this psalm so many times through the years, but I don't believe I've ever had the privilege of preaching uh, from this, this particular psalm. 
and uh, I'm looking forward to doing so here tonight. You'll notice at the heading of the psalm, it says it's a song of degrees for who? Solomon. For Solomon. And uh, we'll look at the significance of that in a minute. This psalm was written, many believe, and I believe, by David for his son, Solomon. And uh, many, many uh, uh, commentators suppose that it was written towards the end of David's life. Uh, because uh, David was getting ready to fall off, to, to pass off the scene, and God had made it very clear that Solomon was going to be the king uh, who is going to pass on his legacy to. And uh, David wanted his son to understand something significant, and do not miss this closing, uh, this opening illustration, because it's so key to understanding this text. But in the midst of building a kingdom, David wanted his son to learn a lesson that he himself had neglected. You see, David had gotten so consumed with winning wars and building a kingdom and a legacy, and he had a heart for God. There was one fault, and David had more than one. There's one major fault we can look at from David's life, that he neglected his family. And it showed up in his kids, didn't it? Absalom, Adonijah. We can go on down the list and talk about that. Now, I'm not rubbing, I don't want to uh, run, run uh, David through the mud here. He's a man after God's own heart. God used him in a great way. Uh, and yet I believe that God allowed Old Testament examples to be put in the Scripture and New Testament examples for our learning. In fact, that's what the New Testament tells us, that these things were written for our learning. And uh, God wants us to learn that David got it wrong when it comes to his home. Towards the end of his life, he, writ, he wrote this psalm to Solomon, encouraging him to learn some things that he had to learn the hard way. And may God help uh, us in this room that we would not have to learn these things the hard way. And so it's a psalm written to Solomon uh, from David. It's inspired truth from God. Of course, we know that too. Um, in its preface here, the... The, 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 the title that is written says it's a song of degrees. That literally means it's a song of ascent. It was actually a, a song that David wrote for his son Solomon with the intention of it being used by the Jewish people, the people of Israel, three times a year as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to come celebrate the three different feasts that God had commanded the people of Israel to celebrate. And uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, David did not just want this to be written for Solomon. He wanted this psalm to be written for all of Israel to sing as they went to the they went on their pilgrimages, uh, so that they would learn the truth of this psalm and get it down for generations to come. And that's the songs of ascent. That's that's why they were written for us. And so the point being in this, this is a text of scripture we ought to remind ourselves of often. David intended that this psalm would be sung at least three times a year. And this is a truth in Scripture that we ought to come back to regularly throughout our lifetime because it is that important. And so I want you to notice what the Bible says to us in Psalm 127. And let's read the entirety of the chapter. The Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And it is vain for you to rise up early. To sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. 
Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now, it did not take me long after having our first child for me to be shocked, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, for me to be shocked with the, an immediate horror of the fact, I can't do this. <laughs> this is a human being, and I'm responsible for this human being. And I, I would distinctly remember that moment after we had Hattie, our first child, where I was just overwhelmed with this, this feeling of unworthiness and insufficiency. How many of you parents can identify with what I'm talking about? All right, maybe you all had it all together, but I, I did not, and I still do not. But I remember especially early on that, that feeling overwhelming me. But let's be honest. Through the years, we've had four kids. We have a fifth on the way. We've learned some things. And it's easy to fall into a trap of thinking, I've got this figured out. In fact, I see this a lot from parents that have multiple kids or older, or older kids or even grown kids. Uh, you can almost get a spirit of haughtiness that says, well, I raised my kids right. And let me tell you all the things you're doing wrong. Um, and uh, we can fall into those kinds of traps. But the truth is, no matter what phase of life you're in, if you, if you have yet to have kids, if you, if you have kids now, if you're married, if you're not married, um, if you have grown kids, whatever phase of life you find yourself in today, unless God is the one that is building your home, it's all in vain. Amen. And that applies to every generation and every phase of life. And I don't want you to forget this today. Unless you let God build your home, you will fail miserably. That's what the scripture teaches us. And so as we dig into this text of scripture, you and I all need to understand this is for all of us. This isn't, no, don't say, well, this is for the ones with young kids. Wrong. No matter what phase of life you're in, you need the truth. You say, I don't have a family yet. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. Who's to say you won't? This is for you. And uh, your, wife may, your wife or your husband, your spouse may have already been passed on. This truth is for you as well. So how am I going to use it? Well, you're going to use it, at the very least, to help other people along their journey. But I believe there's something in this text for all of us. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's pray and ask for God to speak to our hearts specifically as we dig into the scriptures. Our Father, we come before you tonight and we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And God, I just pray that you would uh, uh, fill me with your spirit, give me power from on high to be able to declare these truths about the home. And strengthen our homes, Lord. Weekly, I pray that you would strengthen the, the, the homes in our, in, our, in our church. And uh, I pray that we would have godly homes. And uh, that the husbands and wives and children and grandparents and family members would be strengthened as the truth of your word is declared. And God, as strong uh, as our, our church will never be strong, uh, any stronger than the weakest family. And I just pray that you'd strengthen the families of our church, that we might become a healthy church, a more healthy church, the church that you'd have us to be. And uh, let, let us not neglect this most uh, sacred of institutions, the first institution that you blessed us with, the home. And so speak to our hearts tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Well, here in Psalm 127, I believe that God teaches us three areas we must depend on God for our homes. Here's the first one if you're going to write it down. First off, we, just, we must depend on God for the structure of the house. The structure of the house. The Bible says in verse, uh, verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that 
build it. You cannot build a godly home without God. Without God, you can have a home, but it won't be godly. Because the Bible says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now notice in particular, the Bible says, except the Lord, all caps. It's speaking of Jehovah, the existing one. The I am is what uh, it's translated as when God revealed himself to Moses. Jesus also revealed himself as I am as well. That's the God we're speaking of here. The one who has no beginning will have no end. The one by whom all things were created by him and for him. That's Jehovah. And by the way, he's also the one who created the home. He's also the one who established the home. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and you'll find out very quickly uh, when he established that home, how he created the man and he created the woman and he brought them together and he told them be fruitful and multiply. He told them to have children. God ordained the home. This is not a societal structure. This is a God ordained structure. This is something that God has placed together and if there's anyone who knows how the home should work, it's God. I remember the story I heard about a man. He'd broken down on the side of the road. And Brother Sam will appreciate this. He was in a Ford, of course, when he broke down. He's on the side of the road trying to fix this Ford that broke down on the side of the road. And a man pulled over to try to help him fix his Ford. And uh, the man was resistant to allowing this guy to help him. And he kept trying to tell him, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. And finally, he just looked at the guy and said, what in the world makes you think that you have any authority to tell me how to fix my, fix my Ford? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, my name happens to be Henry Ford, and I designed that vehicle right there. <laughs> if there's anybody that had a right to tell him how to fix his truck, it would have been the guy who made the, made the vehicle. And if there's anybody who has the authority and the knowledge to tell us how the home should be structured, I dare say it's the person who put it together. Now, we live in a society today where there are so many people who are trying to tell us how marriage should work, trying to tell us... and using all types of worldly language and psychology and mumbo-jumbo to tell us techniques that we ought to try to make our homes better. And I'm here to tell you this evening that if you try to have a strong marriage, if you try to raise children in any other way but God's way, you will miserably fail. You say, well, Pastor, I just don't know about what the Bible says about disciplining my children. I don't think it'll work. You will miserably fail with raising your children. He said, I just don't know if I can do what the Bible says with my marriage. I just don't know if I can follow what it's telling me to do with what I'm facing in my marriage. You will miserably fail if you try to establish a good marriage, to parent your children, to have a home any other way than the way that the founder of the home told you it's supposed to work. Amen. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it, the Bible says. So if God is not the one who is building up your household, all your toil to try to do so is worthless, meaningless, and useless. The Bible says if God's not the one building it, the people building it labor in vain. Now that word labor in the Hebrew, it speaks of toil or hard work. Well, let's be honest. It's hard work to maintain a good home, to maintain a good marriage. It's not easy, all right? You like to think that, uh, that it's just love at first sight, and boy, everything's always honky-dory, but we know that is not true in, in a marriage, right? 
Raising kids is not easy. It's downright frustrating sometimes. And there are phases of raising kids that I have not experienced yet. And some of you have no frustrations about raising kids that I haven't even learned yet. Of course, I've heard about a lot of it in counseling, but I, I haven't learned it firsthand yet. Maintaining relationships with adult children. Hard work. Hard work. Now, again, I don't know that firsthand, but I've seen it. It's not easy maintaining a family. It's not easy establishing a family. It is hard work. But you want to make it harder for yourself? Do it without God. Because the Bible says it's worthless. All the hard work you pour into your kids, all the hard work you pour into your marriage, all the hard work that you put into your home is in vain. It's meaningless. It's worthless. It's fruitless if God is not the one you are depending on. The scripture makes this very clear for us here. Except the Lord built the house, they labor in vain that build it. Matthew Henry noted, if God be not acknowledged, we have not reason to expect his blessing. And the best laid plans fail unless he crowns them with success. So you need to ask yourself, what kind of home do you want to have? You want to, you want to have the kind of home that you can build to the best of your ability? Or you want to have the kind of home that only God can build? Because you can't have it both ways. See what I'm saying? You're going to have to let God have control of how your home is structured and how it's being built. Or you're going to try to do it yourself and you're going to fail. And you think, well, I've got a pretty good plan here. But there's a way that seems right to a man. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs tells us, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It's not going to work out near as well as you think it will. You say, well, Pastor, I read a book. I read a book, and this person told me exactly how my, my, my home is supposed to be run. Well, if that person is not God, then he's wrong. Or if he's not pulling from biblical principles, then he's wrong. If you're trusting anyone or anything else but God to establish your home, you're doing it the wrong way. Uh, case in point right there. That's what the scripture is teaching us here. And, uh, uh, you know, if you do decide to build your home God's way, to trust the Lord and, and to depend on Him with your marriage, with your parenting, you will be immensely blessed for doing so. I want you to look at a passage of Scripture here, and just one chapter over, Psalm 128, verse number 1. 128, verse 1. The Bible says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in His ways. For thou shalt eat uh, the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it will be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like all the plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall be the man, just shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. I love that. If you do it God's way, God promises you. It's a guarantee. You'll be blessed for it. Doesn't mean it'll always be easy, but you'll be blessed for it doing it God's way. Heard a story about a man who was a contractor, and he was asked to build a house. And he was given, um, he was given the resources he needed to build the house, but because he had several projects going on at the same time, fortunately, he decided to cut some corners in building this house. And uh, things that should have been done the right way, he knew that they probably would not be discovered, and he cut corners and, and did it the wrong way. And when he got done building that house... The person who asked him to build the house came up to him and handed him the keys of the house and said, I just wanted to build this for you. 
and I want to give you the key to this house that's in your house. And boy, that was a difficult lesson to learn right there. He could have done it right. He could have not cut corners, and he would have been blessed for it. But he didn't. And let me tell you something. You cut corners in your family, you'll have to pay the consequences for it. You do it God's way, may not happen right now, but in the end, you'll be blessed for it. Don't cut corners. You see, we need to depend on God, first of all, for the structure of the house. The second truth I want you to notice tonight is we need to depend on God for the stability of our house. The stability of our house. Now, notice what the Bible says at the end of verse 1. It says, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. And then it says, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. The Bible teaches us here that it is worthless for you to worry about things that you can't control, especially concerning your home. Now, we like to live our lives acting like we've got it all together. We come to church, and boy, we might have had a fight on the way in in the car, but when we walk in, we're the happiest husband and wife that you've ever seen. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. All right? Our kids are the most well-behaved kids in the world when they're, well, all of you have been around my kids long enough, you know that's not true. But uh, we like to try to put on a good front, but the fact of the matter is every one of us are really just one circumstance from everything falling apart. We can act like and we can even think that we have it all together. But boy, the circumstances of life can rock our world very easily in just a moment. And the psalmist made clear here that we must learn to depend on God for the stability of our home. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll never change. You and I, we are subject to change. We are subject to infirmity. He is not. And if there's one person who is able to give stability to our home, it's not you, it's God. That's why the Bible says at the end of verse 1, Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Now that word keep is the Hebrew shamar, and it means to keep or to watch over something. And so what the scripture is saying is, if God is not the one who is guarding your home, keeping or watching over your home, it doesn't matter how much you try to do so yourself, it'll fail. And let's be honest, the day that we're living in today is a frightening time to raise children in, is it not? With the things that we see taking place, and uh, if, if ever parents had protective instincts, they ought to have protect, protective instincts in the day, day and time we're living in today. And uh, we've had such an influx of people who aren't necessarily even Christian people interested in our school because they want to protect their kids from the nonsense that's being uh, pumped into our public school system right now. And I could go on and on about this for quite a while. I don't have time to do that here tonight, but suffice it to say, never before, in American history at least, have young people been exposed to the filth and, 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 the, and the, the, uh, the sexual uh, agenda that our young people are being exposed to today. And so there's good reason for us to desire to want to protect our children from these things. And let me tell you this, and you listen to me on this. Try as hard as you might. If you don't depend on God and follow his instructions for protecting your family, you will still fail miserably. I think the emphasis of this text is we need to understand. We, 
need God. And it's not just a casual need. It's a desperate need for God for our homes. I mean, total, complete failure. Our efforts are never going to be enough. It's total, complete failure without God. And uh, for and this this applies to protecting our children too. The Bible says, "Except the Lord keep the city." Notice this: the watchman waketh, but in vain. That, that word "waketh" is speaking about uh, staying alert or staying on guard. And though the watchman tries to be on guard and watch out to protect the city from difficulty, if God is not the one who is who is uh, providentially overseeing it. It doesn't matter how much the watchman tries to be alert, ultimately he is going to fail. Because, hey, we are limited as human beings. And try as hard as we might, we can't see everything. God can see everything. So here's the principle you need to learn from this. Listen to me well on this. You need to learn to trust in the providence of God. The providence of God. Now, providence isn't a word that we use very much nowadays. If you study American history, you'll find that our founding fathers, it was one of their favorite words, the providence of God. In fact, they often referred to God as, as the providence because uh, he is the providential one. What is providence? When I speak of the providence of God, I am speaking of his watch care. I learned that word from Bill Oaks. I'm speaking of his superintendence or the protective care of God over his creation. That's the providence of God. You better be sure that God watches over his creation. There's not a sparrow that falls to the, gap, the ground without his, without his glance. You better be sure that God sees everything that's going on around your life. And I love the verse, one of my favorite verses about the providence of God, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, where the Lord says uh, in that scripture, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, and they're thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God knows right where you're at. He knows right what you're going through. And boy, he already has an expected end that he wants to bring you to. And that speaks of the providential care of God. Now you can try to prevent a problem that you see coming for your children. You can try to prevent a problem that you see coming in your marriage, in your home. You can try to see those things in advance and, and, and protect your home as much as you can. But here's the difference. You can only see a limited, a limited way down the road. God already sees everything. He already sees every problem that could possibly come on your home. And he knows exactly how he'd like to lead you to prevent you from facing those problems. Or if he's going to allow those problems into your life, he knows exactly how he wants to lead you through them safely and successfully. And that's what it means to trust in the providence of God. Saying, God... Even when I don't understand why you don't want us to go this way, I'm going to listen to what you're telling me because I trust in your providence. I trust in your protective hand. And uh, that is the type of dependence it takes if you want to have the stability of God in your home. And you better, be, you better believe that God will do a whole lot better at protecting your marriage than you will. You better believe that God will do a whole lot better at protecting your children even than you will. You need to listen to what his word has to say. I like what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10. It says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. And the Bible makes it really clear to us that God has actually assigned an angel to, the, to, to all the young ones. And, uh, and we talk about having a guardian, guardian angel. That's not an unbiblical concept. 
Their angels are always watching after these little ones. And uh, uh, now that doesn't mean that parents shouldn't be protected and shouldn't have rules and shouldn't follow the principles of Scripture and, and developing those rules. But friend, there comes a point when you have to realize, I've got to trust God with my children. I've got ultimately their protection. He's going to use me as his agent, but their protection is in the hands of God. I've got to trust God with my home. And uh, that's an important thing. And by the way, let me just get off on this uh, little area and say this as well. So when God tells you a principle in the scripture, like I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes, you ought to apply that principle in your home. See, God gives us those types of principles in his word to help us be able to um, put up the barriers that we need to protect not only ourselves, but our children. And uh, there's too much filth that is allowed in our homes today. Let's be frank about it. Too much filth. Foul language going on on the TV um, and uh, uh, the type of music that we listen to and, and our kids are exposed to. Uh, listen, uh, maybe I'm outdated with saying these kinds of things. But I'm, I'm, still, I'm still of the opinion that young people have no business dating. Listen, you know what the purpose of dating is? Marriage. Is your 13-year-old is your kid ready to get married yet? Now, I would have hated myself for preaching this when I was a teenager. But now, I see the wisdom in it. And I'm thankful I had parents that said, no, you're not going to do that. Because God knows what kind of nonsense I would have got myself into. I'm glad they wanted to direct my attention on the Lord and the Lord's will for my life. It's one of the reasons I'm standing here today. I can go on and talk about a lot of things here tonight. You listen to me. You need to follow the principles of God's word. Because inside of those principles is protection and liberty. It's when you get outside the boundaries of God's word that you get yourself into bondage. The Bible says, and they shall know the truth, and the truth shall make them what? Free. There's freedom in the truth. When we, when we live in the, in the boundaries of the truth of God's word, we have the freedom to enjoy the blessings of the life that God intends us to live. But when you get outside the boundaries of God's truth, you start messing around and doing things that God said, don't do that. You think, well, I'm free to live whatever I want until the consequences come. And then you're not free to live however you want. Then you're living in bondage to sin and the consequences of sin. You see the difference? And so following the truth of God's word is a natural way to build protection into your home. Now, look at where this is leading. Verse number two. The Bible says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. The Bible says it is meaningless and an empty practice for you to lose sleep worrying over things that you cannot control in your home. And I love the picture the Bible paints here. It paints the picture that so often we live out. You're getting up early, getting an early start to the day, or you're staying up late, worrying and fretting over something that's going on in your home. I just can't sleep. Because of what's going on with my kids right now? I just don't want to go to bed because of where things are at in my marriage right now. You know we often live there? It's a vivid picture because a lot of us, when we do experience troubles in our home, that's exactly what goes on. And uh, you let the issues you are facing in your home eat you up inside. And that's what the Bible says. It's, it's vain for you to sit up late, to rise up early, and then it says to eat 
the bread of sorrows. I think that's interesting how it puts that there. You are eating the bread. You're eating the product of your pain, of the issues that you're facing in your home. You're allowing them to tear you up inside. And all the while, except the Lord build the house, except the Lord keep the city. You're letting it keep you up late, wake you up early, as if it all depended on you anyways. You've got your eyes on the wrong thing. And uh, it's interesting to me how often we fall into this trap. Get this down into your head. You cannot change your spouse. Amen. You can stay up late, wake up early, thinking you can. But you can't do it. You cannot turn the heart of your rebellious child. And you staying up late and waking up early, unless it's to pray, mind you, is not going to do anything to change their heart. And yet you can let it tear you up inside. The Bible says it's meaningless. It's worthless. It's not going to do anything good for your home. Letting these types of things tear you up. You cannot save your marriage. But God can. You cannot save your adult child out of that unhealthy relationship. But God can. And I can give example after example of the types of things that we allow to tear us up inside. But suffice it to say that you need to stop fretting about these types of things to the detriment of your family. That's what the Bible is telling us in verse number 2. Now, the Bible says at the end of verse 2, for thus he gives his beloved sleep. What the Bible says there is that God gives to his beloved ones the rest that they need as they trust in his providence. You write in the margin of your Bible this verse next to it, Isaiah 26 and verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. <laughs> you know what? Instead of worrying and fretting about things you can't control, what would be a whole lot better for you to do is turn your focus on God. Saying, God, I can't, but you can. You can work in my marriage. You can work on the heart of my child. And I'm going to choose to trust you in my turmoil in my home right now. Let me remind you what the Bible tells us you should do with your worries. Uh, we'll learn about this very soon. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6, the Bible says, Be careful or worried for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. What the Bible essentially tells us there is that you need to turn every care into a prayer. In other words, just give it to God. You pick it back up, just give it to God. You pick it back up, just give it back to God and keep giving it back to God because you do not have what it takes to make the difference in your home. But when you learn, God does. It'll change the landscape of your home. You start depending on God. And this whole chapter is teaching us how we need to depend on God for our homes. We need to depend on God for the uh, structure of the house. We need to depend on God for the stability of the house. And here's the final thing I want you to see. We need to trust in God for the significance of the house. The significance of the house. Verse number three. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Verse number three. The Bible says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. The fruit of the womb is his reward. You know, having a family is one of this life's greatest treasures. 
one of this life's greatest treasures. Here the Bible literally says that children are God's heritage. That literally means they're, they're God's inheritance. They're the portion that God gives to us in this lifetime. The Bible says that the fruit of the womb, our offspring, are God's reward. That, that, that literally means they're his wages. They're his pay. Now some of you, you had that one really difficult child. You might think that you got, might have uh, actually got some debt instead of got, uh, got paid with getting that child. No, I'm just kidding with you. But um, the Bible literally says that our children are a blessing given to us from God. By the way, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. The Bible says, he that findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. And obtaineth favor of the Lord. If God's blessed you with a godly wife, uh, that is a sign of the blessing of God upon your life. And uh, the, point, uh, the point being in all of this is that if God has blessed you with a spouse, if God has blessed you with children, you ought to be so grateful that he's given you such an, inherit, an inheritance and a reward in this lifetime. If for no other reason, understand that for this reason, there are many people who long for it and God hasn't given it to them yet. You need to value what God has given you. Instead of focusing on what he hasn't given you, be thankful for what he has given you. And I know there are hard times in marriage. There are hard times in raising children. But your family is not a burden. It is a blessing given to you from God. And so you need to learn to value what you have been given. It is the inheritance from God. It is the pay, the wages, the reward you have been given from God. The most significant thing that you will accomplish in your life will not be what you do at your workplace. It will not be that record that you have recorded in some sport book in your high school career. It will, it will be none of those things. The most significant thing that you can do with your life is to raise a godly family. And I truly believe that. And I think that's something the scripture is trying to make clear to us here. By the way, it'll be your greatest accomplishment or your greatest failure for not doing so. See, if your kids grow to walk in God's ways, there's nothing that you accomplish in life that will bring you more joy. Third John chapter 1, verse 4, the apostle John said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children Walk in the truth. Nothing you accomplish in life will be more significant to you than raising godly children. Nothing. On the same token, if your kids grow up to walk away from God, there is nothing that will bring you more sorrow. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 25 says, A foolish son is a grief to his father, and bitterness to her that bear so I say again to you, you will accomplish nothing more significant in life than raising godly kids. And so how much priority are you giving to that? Now, as, this, as the text goes on in verse number four, the Bible gives us some very wonderful and practical instruction for how we can raise godly kids. I want you to notice it with me. Verse number four, the Bible says this, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Here's what the Bible's saying. When your children are young, there is a precious and a very brief opportunity to point them in the right direction to fulfill God's purpose for their life. Very brief. And what the Bible's giving us a picture of here is that like arrows are in the hand of a mighty hunter, 
our children, our young children, they have so much potential to accomplish much for God if they're directed in the right way. A mighty hunter can take those arrows and, and do a lot of damage with them. And even so, the children that God has blessed us with, if we direct them in the right way, boy, they can accomplish much for God's purposes. And get this. Once you let them go, they're out of your hands. It'll be too late to direct them. You'll want to, but you can't. You only have a little while, while they're young, to direct them in the right way. Because when they're gone, you'll want with all your heart that you could have that influence again, but you won't have it. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, so that when he is old, he'll not depart from. Young parents, you better listen to me. You better steward your opportunity. You don't get it for very long. And you'll wish with everything in your heart that you had stewarded it if you don't. And so steward the opportunity that God's giving you right now. Matthew Henry said, these arrows in the hand too often prove to become arrows in the heart. A grief to godly parents. And yet if trained according to God's word, they generally prove the best defense in declining years, taking care of their parents in old age. What are you going to do with your arrows? You've got your children for just a little while. How are you stewarding the opportunity that God has given you? It's a, cha it's a challenge for us to raise our kids the right way. Now let's notice verse 5 and we'll be done. Verse 5, the Bible says, Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Again, the Bible comes back to the same conclusion it starts with. Having children is one of life's greatest blessings. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. I think that it's an interesting use of the word man there. Uh, it's translated man from a Hebrew word that literally speaks of a strong man or a warrior. <laughs> Suffice it to say, having kids is not for children Amen. or for childish adults. It's for men. It's for women. It's for warriors for God because it's a, it's a hard battle. It's not an easy thing to raise kids God's way. Now, it's an easy thing for a kid to raise a kid to be a kid. And there are a lot of kiddish adults are raising their kids today. They have no interest in being the authority in their life. They have only an interest in being their friend. They're doing them no good. It takes a man or a woman to step up and say, no, we're going to do things God's way. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. And you know, I'll just say this because it's here in the text. In a generation where I believe parents are being so selfish or adults are being selfish, even Christians, I don't want to have kids. I want to, I want to enjoy being a young adult. Fooey on that. The whole purpose that God put a man and a woman in this world and said get married is to be fruitful and multiply. And listen to me. In a generation when we have a bunch of selfish people who say, well, I, don't, I don't want to have kids. Or you know what, I don't want to have very many kids. Kids are some of the greatest blessings that you can have in this lifetime. God help us to have some men and women who will bear children in this world and raise them for God because we need a generation of young people who can impact this world for the cause of Jesus Christ. Right. 
Now, at the end of the verse here, there are two principles that are given us. I'll just mention briefly. The Bible says about kids we raise for the Lord, they shall not be ashamed. The application here is if you raise your children for the Lord, they will grow to be proud of the parents who love them and raise them right. They shall not be ashamed. By the way, you won't be ashamed if you raise your kids right either. All right? Of the Proverbs 31 woman, the Bible says that her children, when they're grown, will rise up and call her blessed. Boy, you raise your kids right, they won't like it when they're young. When they get old, thanks, Mom, for raising me right. Thanks, Dad, for raising me right. They won't be ashamed of their upbringing. The last principle here in verse 5, it says, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. If you raise your children by God's truth, this is a powerful truth. If you raise your children according to God's truth, they'll grow up and be able to stand for it. They'll speak with the enemies in the gate. You raise your, your children according to God's truth when they're contested and when they're tempted by this world, by the, the enemies of the cross of Christ we talked about this morning. They'll know the truth and be able to stand against it. And that is one of the greatest responsibilities, by the way, that we have to, reign up, to raise up the next generation to stand for God's truth for future generations beyond. And uh, this is one of the privileges that we have been afforded as parents. This is one of, the, uh, one of the most significant things that we can accomplish in our life is raising these kids to live for the Lord and stand for the Lord. And so I say again to you tonight, the most significant thing that you will accomplish in your life is having a godly home. Whether that is a godly marriage, whether that is a, having, having a, a godly children, whether that is spiritually speaking. Maybe you haven't been blessed with being married. But listen, you can still have spiritual, spiritual children. Amen. People that you have won to the Lord and mentored in the faith. When John wrote the words in 3 John chapter Chapter 1 and verse 4 where he said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. He was an unmarried man with no children physically. But the children he was talking about were his spiritual children. And these principles can still apply for you pouring into your children in the faith. The people that God allows you to bring to the Lord and mentor for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so suffice it to say, the whole point of Psalm 127 is that unless you let God build your home, you will fail miserably. And so are you depending on God for your home? Are you depending on God for your home today? 